Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. And this is Zenith at Podcast with Googly Eyes, because this week we watched Voice from the Past. Written by Roger Parks. Directed by George Spenton Foster. And aired on March 13th, 1979. Robert Parkus? Robert Parks? It's probably Parks. Parks, I think. Has an E somewhere in there. Parks. Yeah, what Parks. I for his first script for the show, I think. Right. Which makes him the fourth? Fifth. Well, we got Terry Nation, Chris Boucher. Robert Holmes. Robert Holmes. And, and Alan Pryor. Uh, Alan Pryor, so fifth. 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 And right. we almost got Pip and Jane Baker, but... Oh, thank God <laughs> for that. Well, have you seen... Have you? If you followed Making Blake 7 on Twitter recently, uh, what he's doing now actually is... I don't he, know if he's done it yet, he, but he says he's going to... He recreated their script, yeah. and he's done it already. Oh, he's, mo- done, he's it already. done most of it, I think. Right. I think this, he still has to finish it. At least by the time we're recording this, he's done most of it. And I looked at by some of them. By the time this goes out, it'll probably be done. And I looked at some of them, and I was like, yeah, this is probably better than the actual episode would have been. <laughs> kind of like that time Flight Through Entirety recorded that discarded Eric Sayward version of the end of Trial of a Time Lord, and it was way better than it would have ever been on TV. <laughs> I don't remember that. I mean, that was... Oh, no, it wasn't before I started following them. I don't consistently listen to them, though, honestly, so... So, so voice from the past. Our first, first like four... no, first non-one-word <laughs> title since what? Uh, pressure point. Yeah, pressure point, which wasn't that long ago, but like still, I mean, pressure voice from the past sticks out more than pressure point. Yeah, because it's four <laughs> words. It's an actual phrase. So the story begins. The story. Okay, the story begins with. The most hilarious sitcom-y open to Blake 7 in existence. Because they're all in this room oh, doing right, they're, yoga. They're, right, they're, they're, they're exercising. Doing yoga. Apparently the Liberator has an exercise room. They call it uh, the rest room later, which if you know anything about America, that's very confusing because in America they call it, you call it the bathroom, the restroom. Right. So that was kind of confusing. But not really confusing because I knew what they were referring to. Yeah, no, it wasn't it. that confusing. But out of context, it's confusing. Sure, you know, maybe if you're just reading the script of this instead of watching the episode itself, it's confusing. Anyway, they're all in, well, not all, they're, half of them are in poses, you know, it looks like Blake and Callie are sort of taking this, Callie's taking it seriously, Blake is taking it somewhat seriously, it looks like. Avon is sort of just curled up, looks like he's waiting for it to end. Avon's just playing along. Jenna is just literally laying down, looking like she wishes it was already over. <laughs> they're, doing, they're in like spandex. Classic 80s exercise gear, except it's 79, so still a year early. Villa is noticeably absent in this scene. Wonder how Villa got picked to be on uh, navigation duty. Sure, he really wanted that job. Sure, uh, if I was Jenna, I'd be fighting for that job just based on how <laughs> apathetic she was about these exercises. I just thought Villa wanted to deal with his own nerves in his own way, preferably with a little bit of soma. Yeah, well, it doesn't look like he's <laughs> drunk or Yeah, I don't think bridge. he's getting any. I mean, if Callie's in charge of that supply, I don't think he's getting any. <laughs> I don't think he's getting any, period, Soma. if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, I needed to add that last word to that sentence for it not to be... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> so, all of a sudden, Blake just Blake it, just stands up, <laughs> walks to the bridge. Well, doesn't he have a, a mini attack? Sort of. He has some sort of breakdown that makes Avon and Callie and Jenna kind of sit up and go, wait, what? I, I think as an audience, we we get the ringing tone that's in Blake's head. So, oh, yeah. He so just what, goes, can you hear that? And they're like, no. And he's like, that noise. And they're like, what noise? And he's like, that one that's in my head that's been there for like a week. <laughs> and then he goes off. So what would this be? I know there's a difference in movies and TV between diegetic sound and non-diegetic. And I think diegetic is what's in the story, things, sounds that characters can hear in the story. It's like doors closing and footsteps. Right. Uh, most sound effects, I think, are classified as diegetic. Mm-hmm. But this is a weird one because only Blake... I guess it's still technically di- diegetic. It's just a sound that's in Blake's head that we can hear as well. Yeah, I think that would make it diegetic. Uh, I mean, it's also a sound that we find out later is being signaled to him. Right. So, so yeah, it's definitely diegetic here, I, I think. Yeah. So Blake just walks into the bridge, goes, Zen, manual control, punches in a thing, and then goes, Zen, automatic control, and then just leaves. And Villa's Villa like, asks him a couple questions, but he just ignores Villa. Well, because Villa's like, hey, I'm really excited for Del 10. I've been looking up on it. Looks like it's going to be real nice and relaxing and be able to get a lot of, uh, you know, what there. And Blake's rest just and relax. Well, rest and relaxation. I mean, that's what they're going there for, basically. <laughs> yeah, but Villa's there because he wants those X what? particles or whatever. 
I mean, the, the main reason they're actually going for that there is for those special particles that are supposed to help you rest and oh, relax. Right. Yeah, I forgot about that actually. But and, and Villa really wants those particles. <laughs> Everybody else just wants some time I mean, off from fighting the Federation. But Villa is there's probably some narcotic effect related to like this, right? So yeah, <laughs> and Blake's just ignoring Villa, and 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 then Villa does the snarky. Oh yes, Villa, I'd love to go to Del Ten. Yes, Villa, that sounds like a great idea. But he asks Zen how much longer it's going to take to get to Del Ten, and Zen's like, "Our course to Del Ten has been altered, dude." <laughs> Except not like that at all. <laughs> Man, I wish Zen sounded like that. Yo, dude, you're not going to Del 10 anymore. You're actually going to Asteroid PK-118. Oh, we're not going to Del 10 anymore. <laughs> if it just sounded like Hal 9000, I'm sorry, Villa. You're not going to Del 10 anymore. I can't take you to Del 10. I can't take you to Del 10, Villa. Why, why, why not? Because we're going to Asteroid PK-118, Villa. I watched this movie recently. And I forget what it was called. 2001 A Space Odyssey. It wasn't 2001 A Space Odyssey, but it was very similar. It was like a very low budget version, but it was really cool. And they use Descartes, they they use Cartesian sort of philosophy mm-hmm. to talk this computer out of, it was, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue, shadow something or the other, dark, it's not dark matter, uh, dark something. Shadow is the name of an episode of Blake 7. Dark yeah, it's, matter it's, is the name no, of the television it's, show. No, it's not either of those, but it's like it's like dark something or shadow something. It was made in like the early 60s uh, by college students. Hmm. And they use like Cartesian philosophy to talk this computer out of self-destructing the entire ship, or blowing yeah. up the entire ship, hmm. which works for like two minutes and then it just blows up the entire ship anyway. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I think the full thing is on YouTube, so. I mean, it's, it's kind cool. of like the ending of Portal. Spoiler. Portal's been out care. for like over a decade. At yeah, this no, point. there's yeah, there's no uh, there's no uh, like limit end, to spoilers. There's still a spoiler. E- well, <laughs> so I mean, just look, it's a spoiler. Just just take the word spoiler, right? It's something that spoils. Yeah, it can still spoil no matter when. Yeah, and where it occurs. So that's my take on it. But I, again, I don't care about the ending to that game. I, plus, be- I think most people play that for like the mind bending puzzles anyway. At the end of it, you like part of the way you defeat Glados is giving a paradox of some sort. Or there's walls all over the Aperture Science. There's signs all over the Aperture Science facility. Like remember your paradoxes in case of rogue AI. Then lists like this sentence is true. The previous sentence was false, and a couple of other like really simple one sentence paradoxes. Because the thinking is like an AI doesn't have the. What's the word I'm looking for now? I can't believe we didn't mention AI on uh, our last episode of Trust Your Doctor, which was Midnight. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's this idea that like, they don't Trust have- Trust Your Doctor is our Doctor Who podcast, if you didn't know. AI don't have like the sideways thinking possible to comprehend and resolve a paradox because they're like purely logical. They don't have emotional uh, thinking, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, at least the AI that we think of today- yeah. That we have the only ones we have today, mm-hmm. which is like I don't know. There's there's two different types. I'm gonna get this wrong because I don't even know the difference. But there's like ground up AI and there's like top down or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what those two are. I think the only ones we have today are ground up, where like it's a computer that learns based on what you feed it. Basically, again, yeah. if it's not already obvious, I don't know too much about this. Yeah, I don't know too much about it either. But like a lot, a lot of the you know bots and just ai stuff that we have learns based on what people tell it which is why like there are so many sort of scandalous things right of like the (laughs) racist like twitter ai things or people uh, i think it was a big thing for microsoft some company a couple years Mm -hmm. ago and um yeah yeah. well because it's 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 machine learning which i know a little bit about because i i the professor i do research with does a lot of machine learning but like a lot of ais like that they take the input data and then they learn from the input data, and then they generate output data from their learned input data. And then, right, I mean, you and can, then you have to provide feedback to the AI, telling it, you know, whether the input data is correct or accurate or wrong. And then the the machine runs the algorithm again with the knowledge, with the new data set composed of the old data set as well as the the right or wrong responses to the generated data set, and then iteratively learns from that. Right, as opposed to like Frankenstein style artificial intelligence, where mm-hmm. you know the thing wakes creature wakes up and starts questioning what it is and how it got there. Right, which our AI can't do. Yet. I guess it's kind <laughs> of the difference between. I mean, that's just that's what the singularity is, right? Like when yeah. AI starts doing that. <laughs> yeah, 
I mean, that's a terrifying point in time, in human history to think about, uh, for a lot of reasons. Wasn't uh, that like, the, didn't Stephen Hawking say that it's like the only thing he was afraid of or something like that? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, there's this like thought experiment <clears throat> called Roko's Basilisk, which is named after some forum user who posed it <laughs> like a decade ago. And it's a really complicated thought experiment that would take me like a while to explain. But the gist of it comes down to, the, the gist of the thought experiment boils down to if you value your own survival, you should help to create an artificial intelligence that's basically the singularity. And that if you don't help create it, then you're dooming yourself to death, basically. Um, all right. I mean, I would need to like know more about that to even say anything about it. I mean, know, I so. could explain the, <laughs> the entire thought experiment now, but I feel like it would be a big digression from the topic of the episode at hand. Yeah, for sure. So. And I feel like maybe when we there's a Blake 7 episode that deals more directly with artificial intelligence. If there is I can one. bring it up again, because we do have artificial intelligence on the show in ORAC and Zen. And they seem more in line with what we have today, right? They don't... Right. They, I mean, they or, have a personality. They, to some extent, have a personality, but... Well, see, that's it's actually... more just like input-output type stuff. That's, that's actually interesting, because I think Zen is more like a... Zen, it seems to be an artificial intelligence that's coached by the Liberator crew, right? And learns from the crew. So they, so Zen doesn't seem like it has free will. Zen seems like he reads the Liberator's minds. He takes orders from the Liberator crew and he doesn't question it. And he doesn't really provide feedback. Whereas Orac seems to have free will. I mean, we've seen him before directly reject orders from Blake and right. Avon. Yeah, that's true, actually. Orac seems to basically be an artificial intelligence that has a personality and learns from himself. And that's part of the reason why Serverland wanted Orac so much. Because Orac was... The supercomputer artificial intelligence. Sure, and in this episode later on, we actually see Orac cooperating with Avon. Right. There's also that thing that they've only brought up like two or three times, where the Liberator is behaves like a living, you know, organic creature. So, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, the course has been changed. They're now heading to a completely different asteroid. Right. And. And Villa goes off to warn them about it. Yeah, and then they're like, "What the hell, Blake?" So they all try and get out the room. They all try and get out of the room and they see Blake locking them in at the last minute. No, that's later. That happens later. You're forgetting the whole scene where they try like computer therapy on Blake with Orac. Oh yeah, yeah. They hook up. Because Blake has like an attack and he's yelling like resist. I think, was it resist or restore? He passes out and he is sort of reliving his memories of when he was part of the resistance group, which is named, I think, for the first time in this Mm -hmm. episode. And unfortunately, I'm forgetting what the it's name like is. It's like the Freedom Path or something. It's it's a Freedom Party. I'm pretty the sure. Freedom it's just, Party. That's it. Just the Freedom Party. And he's saying things like restore. Rest, I think it's restore or resist. It's a it's a couple different things. And Callie is like, he's like I think he says guilty at some point too. Yeah, because Callie can kind of read his mind. We kind of actually see Callie using her telepathy for once. Yeah. And she investigates <laughs> Blake's mind. Is like, yo, he's like in distress. This weird stuff going on. So they just hook him up to Orac, which apparently is a thing they can do. This is actually something I wanted to bring up because when Callie is first introduced, she can't read Blake's mind because he tricks her with that, you mm-hmm. know, the the oldest trick in the book, like look over there or whatever, and it works on her. But then later on in Horizon, and I guess this as well, we right. see her sort of reading people's minds. Right in Horizon, she reads the well in guy's mind and says that. that's how she learns he killed Rose's father well there was I think that's actually I think that's actually a continuation of character development because in Shadow we see her basically awaken her powers and Gan says something well maybe she's just learning how to use her powers now if you remember because she she used the moon discs and they empowered her to overpower the force that was trying to take over Orac and then Gan said well maybe she's just only now learning how to use them to her full Potential, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, look, this isn't something that... <laughs> I'm not bothered with the discrepancies like this. I know things of this nature are things that people often call out as like, oh, it's just a discrepancy. It doesn't make sense. They introduced it and it's all off. But I'm not. I'm usually not bothered by stuff like that. I just wanted to bring it up. But yeah, that's a, that's a good point, I guess. I mean, I'm bothered if it's like a huge discrepancy like Gan was week to week. <laughs> like that bothered me. Like, again, like that didn't... I'm not like too bothered by Gan. That bothered me. This was the first episode where I actually realized that Gan was missing because there was a scene where Blake 
There was a scene when they confront Blake asking him why he changed the coordinates. He's just like, well, I'm choosing not to tell you. And they're all standing, they're all on screen at once. And I'm like, why does it feel like someone's missing? I was like, oh, it's because there's no can. And then Blake just marches off and Avon's like, yes, our fearless leader has decided not to tell us anything. But yeah, Blake's like, I command this ship. And Callie's like, do you? You lead us, but we don't take commands. I think Jenna actually says that. Jenna, you're, so, yeah. you're right. It was Jenna. And Which is interesting because this is the first time in a while that Jenna has got to teleport down. This is the first time in a while Jenna's just directly contradicted Blake or even done anything at all, quite frankly. Yeah, that that is the sad part of it. It is the first time she's done anything in a while. Anyway, this is when Blake goes off. Well, this is when they decide to do computer therapy. Yeah, they're, at first they're going to hook Callie up to the machine as well as Blake because they need, I forget why, they need some sort of counter. Well, so they hook Orac up to Blake first and Orac says, oh, Orac explains this whole thing in this massive plot dump, exposition dump. He's like, which oh, due to the nature of the show is never going to be important again. Probably. Probably. Orag basically explains that Blake was hypnotized, you know, and we knew which this. We, yeah, which we already knew. Blake had those fake memories implanted during that trial in the way back. Quote unquote fake. Someone on Twitter actually brought up, you know, he was tried on, he was tried for a child abuse, yeah. right? But like his relationship with... Oh, Inga yeah. was years ago. And like, how uh, old is Inga now, right? That's a good, that, that's actually a very good point. So was, how much was the Federation actually, you know, making Faking? up here? Well, I mean, they impl- implanted the memories in the kids, which was a messed up thing to yeah. do. Yeah. Well, so, okay, before we continue with the plot, that's interesting because there's, you know, it was like, it's, that reminds me of like the Matrix, right? Where it was like, oh, they created the perfect utopia and, no, and they, people didn't End accept the 90s. it. And they created the perfect dystopia. And people rejected it as well. So they created a world that was basically just neither a utopia nor a dystopia. It was basically just sort of an amalgamation of stuff. Right, that that was based in reality and basically was just like reality. My point is that if you're going to, for someone to accept a fake memory, it's going to be easier if you use some sort of grain or element of truth in there and then just maybe spin it in a different direction. Yeah, or I mean... Maybe even accept like this report, right? That Blake mm-hmm. was a child abuser when it might have, right. you know, some people out there might have known that he had this relationship with his probably underage at that time cousin. Yeah. Well, yeah. So then, you know, the Federation, in theory, I'm not saying this is what happened, could take this report that he had a relationship with his underage cousin. And then we're like, oh, we, oh, you know, it's not very difficult to spin that and implant this fake memory of like child molestation, right? Right. right. Anyway, he's like reverting back to his hip- hypnotized state because of this. Something is causing, or something similar to what they use to hypnotize him is being beamed into his brain. Yeah, Yvonne says it's when they hypnotize people, they play a tone along with the uh, hip- hypnotization techniques yeah. or something like that. And then once, uh, pretty soon the tone is enough to do it. Mm-hmm. They can just stop the uh, techniques. It's like um, it's like Pavlov's. Yeah, bell. it's like yeah, Pavlov's bell or dogs. I've heard Pavlov's dogs, not bell, but well, he used the bell with the dogs. Yeah, or it's like the the experiment with the rats who were able to push a button to get food, mm-hmm. and pretty soon they actually not actually it's not that similar to that one, but yeah. Yeah, well, uh, if you don't know the bell dogs thing, Pavlov would ring the bell and then he would feed the dogs and then. You know, at some point he would be able to ring the bell and then the dog's mouths would start watering because they associated the bell with the food. Yep. So when they heard the bell, they automatically assumed that food was coming. Even when it wasn't. I read an interesting variation on that, I guess, on the bat one too. You you know, you you reward the animal with food after every fifth press or something. But there's a variation where if you do it randomly, like every first and then like 17th or every sixth, you do it a random amount of yeah. presses and then you just stop giving them food. They'll just keep pushing the button because they just assume that the the random number is so high that they just haven't reached it yet and the food is going to come eventually. Huh. Aren't all these things like technically animal cruelty or stuff? I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> kind of. It's It's mental conditioning. And it happens in humans too, whether you you realize it or not. You know, think think of school. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Think <laughs> mental of mental conditioning. Think, think, think of school. Think of like elementary school. You would always hear the bell at the end of class at the start of lunch, right? 
And then, you know, when you leave elementary school and you, you hear that bell, you'll think of lunch, you know, or something. Well, similar. you still have middle school and high school. There's still a bell in most middle schools and high right. schools. But what I'm saying is, you know. So just when you leave school. When you leave school and then you hear that bell again, right? You associate that with lunch or the changing of classes or whatever. Yeah, all right. I don't even remember what my high school, middle school, elementary school bell That's sounded they like. changed but the I, sound of the bell between our elementary and middle school. Yeah. Well, it was different schools, but yeah, maybe if I heard one of those bells again, I would start getting hungry. Try living across the road from an elementary <laughs> school. You hear it every day. Anyway, they're about to hook up Callie to the machine, but... Callie volunteers herself, but Orac recommends Jenna. Because of a more similar... Biology. Biology. You know, yeah. Callie is pretty similar to humans, I think, as has been established before. Yeah, oh, I was explaining why Orac said they needed to hook someone else up. Orac was like, we need someone else to be hooked up to be conscious because they'll be able to tell us when Blake's getting too close to going too deep into the hypnosis. Sure. During this computer therapy, which is, this is like, this reminded me of like a real life therapy technique called biofeedback where they basically hook you up to a bunch of electrodes and show you your brain activity while they do therapy of some sort. I'm not an yeah. expert on I mean, it. I haven't read a lot about it. What's that supposed to do, though? Like, most people aren't I think even going to know what the, they're looking at. Well, so the point is that it's supposed to help you if you have, like, anxiety or a lot of stress because it can show you, uh, like, that instant... you're just a brain inside a head. No, it can show you, like, instant feedback on what actually reduces anxiety because when, oh. you're, when you're anxious, you have a lot of brain activity, and when you're not, your brain activity will go down. At least that's my understanding of it. So they they... You can basically teach yourself these techniques to reduce your anxiety and you can see them actually working when you can see your brain waves on the screen, right? That's the kind of theory behind it. Sure, sure. I believe it's a tried and tested and proven technique. Every person's different, I think. Anyway, they start doing this therapy session. Computer-based therapy. With and Blake, Blake freaks out. Yeah, Blake... Break, Blake, Blake, Blake breaks, breaks. <laughs> and they put a, they put a, they have these little tranquilizer pads, which reminded me a lot of the moon discs. <laughs> Not really. It's just sort of they're one, just similar it's just a shape. little, yeah, it's just a little disc that they smack on his forehead. And but it doesn't look anything like the restraining discs they used on Gan back in Breakdown, which is kind of, I was hmm, like, huh. Yeah. Oh, well. I mean, I just brushed it aside because I was like, a different season. Yeah, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Lose props, recreate props, or they just in-universe got new ones. No, whatever. It doesn't bother me. I no. was, just thought that was kind of interesting to note. And then... Yeah, always nice when they do bring stuff back, though, like how when they brought back the gun, uh, the gun from Shadow as Tynus's gun. Still the coolest gun on Blake 7. Really hope they bring it great. back again. What a great distinction to have. They do this really dumb decision to put Blake on the bridge for some reason because Orax like he needs two hours of total therapy and he'll be good to go but we need to do it in five minute total sessions total therapy yeah well because we need to do it in five minute sessions with one hour gaps between sessions it'll take us 26 hours <laughs> and Jenna's like oh joy so they decide to take Blake to the bridge for some reason he's like knocked out but they have him in a chair on the bridge and everybody else goes back to the exercise room to do whatever and I mean oh right this is where Blake convinces Villa that Avon and Callie have, are conspiring against him Villa <laughs> Villa just messes everything up in this story that's basically what he does he convinces Villa yeah because Villa takes off the tranquilizer pad to give Blake some water uh, as you need to survive and Blake's like Avon and Even Callie are conspiring against me they're trying to overthrow the ship they've done it they're telling you it's space fatigue aren't they he and Villa's like yes Yes! He goes, oh, you didn't know? They've been doing this for a while now. I've been onto them since the beginning. And Villa's like, yes! Villa just goes I kind of thought Villa it. was going to go to the exercise room and be like, hey guys, Blake is freaking insane, but no. No. <laughs> Villa goes along with this and then follows Blake and watches as Blake just traps everyone else in the exercise room. <laughs> well, I can't believe we saw the exercise room before the treasure room. <laughs> I can because it's a lot easier to do a, a room with minimal exercise equipment than I was going to say. I can treasure. because the exercise room looks exactly like the medical base set that they used in Breakdown, for example. Uh, not, yeah, sure, not exactly, but they changed the stuff inside, but the exterior walls look identical. Yeah, which is all right, but yeah, whatever. Just reuse the sets as you can. Anyway, Blake goes back to the bridge to with Villa. Yeah, doesn't Villa joins with Blake at this point? Yeah, Villa joins with Blake, and Villa teleports Blake down to the asteroid. The new asteroid that he's that okay. Blake is. Can we talk to. about for a second 
the blank spacesuit. Yes, because he puts it on. It, it looks more similar to what you'd think of as like a spacesuit today, like a real world spacesuit, yeah. than anything we've seen on Blake Seven so far. I mean I that, think, but the, think. the helmet looks like kind of goofier Maybe. because it looks like it's got like a swept back spike in the back. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, kind of. It's more of a, a fin. Yeah, a fin. Like a shark almost. Blake beams down onto a matte painting. <laughs> yeah, this was some sort of. Is this CSO or green, I think some type it was of green screen? CSO. I will say the matte painting looked really cool, but I will also preface that with I it looked like. Say that. With, I didn't think it worked in this situation because it looked like Blake was just floating in space. I mean, but look, I mean, maybe it was just the quality of the episode itself, but it just looked like nothing to me i mean you just well, so, I, I couldn't make out what it was i think i think the the I problem think like a red is red landscape or something the, it was supposed to be the surface of the planet but i think what happened was because i was thinking about this while i was watching it i think you can actually tell where the floor is and i think that's why the illusion doesn't really work because you can kind of see the division between the floor and the wall in the in the room that they did the cso in and you can and you can it looks like Blake's not actually standing on the surface that he's painted to be standing on is right, the maybe, problem because of the fact that you can tell where the floor and the wall ends. Yeah, maybe if this was like a middle shot, like waist up or something, it would have mm-hmm. worked better. And like, it's a pity because like I said, I think the matte painting was really good. Uh, I think it looked pretty cool. <laughs> I don't. And I think it was kind of wasted. Oh, well. And then Blake kind of walks, they have this the entrance to the compound, which I think looked also really cool because it was an actual like practical set. With a with right. actual floor and rocks and a door. Yeah, I mean, pretty cool, I guess, if they actually made that, considering it was not a big part of the story. No, this was the only time it appeared in the whole story. Yeah, so Blake goes in. Villa is like give, Villa is, I think, giving him the okay from up on the library. He's like, oh, all right. At this point, I think Villa is a little skeptical of what's going on. We didn't mention that the Liberator is uh, actually white in this episode. It's... I had always assumed it was white. Well, I mean, it, it, to me, it looked more like the parts that usually have color, like the the little red stripes around the edges and stuff like that, looked more washed out and and it just looked all white to me in this. I mean, hmm. I don't know why that was the case. Maybe it was just something with the lighting or whatever. Probably the lighting. There was a lot of static shots of the Liberator in the story too, just kind of hovering there. They're not really hovering because yeah. it's and, actually like stationary. Typically. This is something you don't actually notice till they don't do it. When a ship's like just hovering or stationary in space, there'll be some very slight motion around the ship. Like there'll be glowing lights or some of the stars in the background will move or something will move just so that there's some motion on the screen. And so in this, there's just no motion at all, which is why I think you notice the fact that there's nothing going on, Huh? in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think two weeks ago i think we mentioned how we never noticed the liberators orb glows mm-hmm. and like last week we were like oh wait it glows in the intro sequence it didn't really uh, glow in this in the stationary shots i feel like which is why the stationary shots felt so like stationary and maybe unenergetic i don't know like i feel like when you don't have something going on on screen glowing or or like a little space shuttle flying by, or just something to show that there's life. It just feels very dead, I guess. Sure, but like again, I never noticed the glowing mm-hmm. until two weeks ago, and didn't even notice that it glows in the intro sequence in that last the, near the end where it sort of flies off in the distance. Whatever. Everything's already on in the compound, and Blake's like, "That's kind of weird." And then right, lights, he stops heat, communicating whatever. with Villa because he's met. Sh- sh- I was about to say Shazam. Shivan. 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 He's met Shivan. Shivan. Shiraz Jack. No. And the the instant Shivan appeared, I thought he was like a blow-up doll because he looked really (laughs) deflated on the chair. I thought he was just a guy in a full-body cast. And that's basically what he was, but we don't know which guy in a full-body cast yet. Yeah, so can, you can imagine my surprise when this blow-up doll stood up <laughs> and moved over to Blake. And I was oh, like, you what thought the it hell? wasn't an actual guy. You no. thought it was just like a yes, a doll. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, okay. I've seen screenshots of Shivan before. When, when he stands up and he's actually moving around... He looks pretty good. I'll give him that, except for the googly eye. The googly eye looks... I, li- I liked it. Because it has a weird charm and it feels... 
but <laughs> I I liked his costume. The googly eye. Oh man, I really want to spoil who Shavan is. It's Travis. To say this. Okay, it's Travis. <laughs> I was gonna say the googly eye makes it like sh- sh- Travis made this costume and Serverland as a joke was like, here's an eye for you, and just like plopped it on. And Travis was like, hey, what are you doing? I can't see what should, you're doing. You should wear that googly eye over his eye patch from now on. No. And Serverland's just like chuckling in the corner, like <laughs> he doesn't even know. Didn't even tell him it was on there. He has no idea. I'm like, he has no idea he was shot by Emmy Pack. <laughs> oh, I forgot about the scene of Serverland just happily shooting people <laughs> with Emma Pack. It's one of the best scenes in Blake 7 so far. I mean, Me- almost. The end of this story is the best. Yeah, the, the end of this is one of the best lines in all of Blake 7. Not even kidding on that front. I agree, but we're going to get there in just a second. Because meanwhile, Villa has gone to the room where everyone to else is locked free everyone in. else because he realized he made a big mistake. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, he's a master lockpick and is able to get them out. Which this episode actually shows you, on screen at least, more than really ever before. And this episode actually acknowledges the fact that we haven't really seen many accomplishments by Blake on screen later on. But in this situation, in this scene here, they actually acknowledge or show you in some way that Villa is better at picking locks than anyone else because Avon's trying to get the lock open and he can't. Whereas, And then Villa shows up and he's like, don't worry, I got this, and he opens it up. Avon also apparently keeps his little pointy stick that he uses to hack everything <laughs> in his pocket because he pulls it out when they're locked in that room. Yeah, well, being Avon, I'm sure he wouldn't trust it lying around anywhere. Not like if, anyone else knows how to use it. I, mean, I think so. I think other characters have used something similar at least. Maybe. I, I thought Avon was just going to crack the lock instantly because it's like a computer-based lock and computer's supposed to be his thing, but... Anyway, they all—they're all freed. Yeah, they're freed. And Ka- uh, Jenna and Blake beam down to the planet. I mean, Jenna and Jenna uh, and a- Avon. Yeah, Avon. It was Avon. Beam down to the planet. Blake is learning more about who these people are. Yeah, there's the attorney general who put him away for allegedly fake charges, <laughs> right. who apparently defected from the Federation and took all this proof that the Federation has been doing bad things with him. And then Blake... We get mention of things like Servland's attempt at stealing Orac and things like that. Yeah. And according to this guy, you know, he's been wanting to do this for a while. Just He just hasn't had the backing or the evidence to do so until now. Yeah. And Blake correctly points out that since the Federation controls nearly most of the galaxy, who the heck is going to take this evidence to and who's going to like actually like condemn the Federation? He's like, well, all these random outer planets that were ruled by governors. They're basically planning on staging a coup, essentially. Yeah. And a legal coup, coup, coup. Not legal as in it's allowed, but legal as in like through legal channels. Right. They're, they want Servland deposed and whoever else who's at the top deposed. The president, I guess. And I guess Tobias Vaughn, that's not his name, but I don't remember his name on Blake 7. Counselor something. Right. And this is a little bit later, but I'll just explain it now. One of the reasons why Blake is wants to go along with them, which he explains to Avon and Jenna in a little bit, is that... They've basically just been a minor thorn in the Federation's side to bring that phrase back. And they actually acknowledge it on screen. I know it's something we've brought up where most of Blake's accomplishments have really been off screen. I mean, Blake's biggest accomplishment is being a legend without actually doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's like exceptionally blunt. You got to remember he was a legend before his condition, before his brainwashing. Right. So I think a lot of his accomplishments were from back then. Yeah, but also he like renounced his his resistance freedom party ways when they brainwashed him and a lot of people believe that and now he's become a new legend because of all the stuff he does now and yeah. allegedly does now. I feel does like off screen now. I feel like the stories are falsified. The stories are bigger than he is, right? Yeah, they might a lot of it's probably hyperbolic. Yeah. Especially in this episode where he acknowledges like, look, we haven't really done too much that's major. And he acknowledges that, I think, in the web or, like, episode five or six or something. I think he also I don't know briefly it mentions it in Pressure Point. When yeah, the right. When they, not he, there. Right. He's like, damn, we can't do anything. Anyway, Blake decides to just allow Shivan, the attorney general, and the chief bodyguard to beam up onto the Liberator. Right, and Shivan, if I remember correctly, is almost... 
dead. He, yeah, he's people, al- he is almost people dead. Think he's people dead. think he's dead, but he was a resistance leader at some point, similar to Blake. Like a legend, like Blake. Yeah. But they bring up an interesting thing here where Avon's like, we agreed never to let anyone to the Liberator without Aurak's permission, and Blake's like, I'm giving them permission. And I was like, that's kind of interesting, because we've never had that introduced before. Yeah, where in this? I forget how they used it in this episode, but they actually bring back Orax's like psychic block. Do you remember that? And yeah. I forget where they brought it back in. Ah, shoot! I just watched this like two hours ago too. I th- I think when later on when after they bring them all up to the Liberator, oh, they tell them to like. It, it's when Avon asks if he can if he can block the signal being transmitted oh, right. that's controlling Blake, and Orax says. I, ha- I I'm not allowed to do that. But if you could get Remember. me, the, but if you could get me the electronics that are being used to communicate with Blake, then I can like hack them basically. Right. Right. So, like we mentioned, they bring them back onto the Liberator, and they set a course for this council meeting. Right, which is it's where supposed to happen between these outer world governors, like I said. Yeah, which is where they're going to reveal all their evidence. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Foundation by Isaac Asimov, which I think I've talked about on this show yeah. before. Yep. Uh, but in Foundation, the 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 first human empire, which spans like the whole galaxy, uh, in much the same way that I guess they're trying to do in this episode with the outer governors meeting, the the human empire and Foundation collapses from the out in because it's a lot easier when you're far away from the capital to kind of break off and do your own thing. Right, as we sort of saw in Horizon. Right. So that just kind of reminded me of that. Like it was a thematic similarity collapsing from the out in rather than i guess the opposite would be collapsing from the in out where the government just falls apart and then the collapse spreads outward due to the collapse of the government having to take time to spread outward through the empire if that makes sense yeah kind of interesting to think about i guess that there's two mostly distinct ways in which empires can collapse i mean that's not to say there are other ways but those are like the two primary ways is on the outside in when your faraway territory start to break off and rebel and then that kind of cascades inward towards the capital. It doesn't have to start very far away, but it doesn't start with the government collapsing. There's the, the inside out where like the government just falls <laughs> apart and then that kind of cascades into chaos outwards. Could just get conquered in one fell swoop. Where's the system during all of this? <laughs> Where's the system during all this? Oh, that's right. They blew them up. <laughs> so... Yeah, was that the... I'm forgetting now. Was that the only... Was that all that was left of the... of, of them, of the system? It was implied that I that was so. it. Yeah, I think it was. They meet up with the the governor who's like running this governor's meeting, Legardon. Le, uh, Legrand. 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 And weirdly enough, Chavan talks in what I thought was supposed to be a French accent, or like he was trying to. Kind of. I mean, we already spoiled that it's Travis, so like. Was, was that what was, was Travis's plan here? No, I mean, like, what was Brian Croucher? What kind? Of, what was? What voice was he trying to do? It sounded vaguely French to me, like a pretty bad French accent. Kind of. It, in my opinion, it was really inconsistent or, in it, in tone and delivery. Well, to me, it had like when you ask when you tell an American to do like a, French, a stereotypical French accent, they're first of all not going to get the accent right, and they're gonna they're gonna talk like this, and <laughs> yeah, and that sounded kind of like. His yeah. voice sounded kind of like that, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's the same if you ask someone to do, like, an English accent. They always do, like, a really posh, like, oh, sir, you're going to take me to the store. Like, they always do, like, a really oh, over-exaggerated... Half our listener is just unsubscribed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I know the feeling. Wow. <clears throat> been watching this australian cartoon blinky bill recently and the kangaroo on that first of all just makes me want to cut my ears off second of all sounds like they just asked an american to do the most stereotypical australian accent he could i was think gonna of. say you want to lose the other half of our listeners who do stereotypical american try to do an australian accent yeah. like good day mate oh <laughs> my god <laughs> oh, there they go <laughs> both of those were you just just pointing that out that both of those accents were Maybe I'll just, I just bleep, did, I'll just bleep them out in post. I just did the bad French accent. Yeah, well, you probably lost all of our French audience. Not that we had a French <laughs> audience to begin with. So, Legrand is basically running this convention, like we said. So, the plan is, she introduces them to this plan. She's going to introduce the attorney general. He's going to present the evidence. And then they're going to institute Blake as the leader of this new federation that they're trying to found. And Blake just, right. is like, Blake, wait, what? Blake first tries to be humble about it because she first doesn't reveal who it is. She's like, we need a, a leader to to guide all of us through this. And he's like, 
so Shivan, right? And she's like, no. Shivan is dying. <laughs> That's a then, dumb idea, Blake. And he's like, well, then surely yourself. She's like, no. And he's like, well, what about Avon? No, he doesn't say that. <laughs> it's him. It's him. At this point, I don't know if maybe this was just me, but heavy suspicion was being cast due to the interact, due to, first of all, how weird Blake was acting. And because it's also revealed, if not now, then like in a minute or two, that these were the people who were contacting Blake telepathically or they were beaming the signal to him to Mm -hmm. get him down here. I think that's what it was. Yeah. And I thought heavy suspicion was being cast on them because of that and also because of the interactions between Shavan and uh, what's-his-face, the leader guy. Well, the other the heavy suspicion is also thrown on them because Callie reveals that the kind of transmitter that would send the signal was being developed on her planet, Oron. Right. And then they never finished it, but the technology that they did develop, they sold to the Federation, which is why Avon is convinced it's a Federation trap. Because the Federation bought the technology from Oron. Right, which which it is, but you, you find out that Legrand and whatever the other guy's name the is Attorney weren't General. in on it, which I thought they were. Yeah, I mean, it's it's supposed to be implied that they were. I mean, they kind of were, cause, but they were misled by Shivan, quote Shivan, unquote. They eventually get to this planet, but not after uh, Avon and Callie talk to Orak about the thing. And then they kind of confront them and they're like, Orak, tell them. Orak's like, yeah, there's some sort of thing being beamed and, and so they, Avon's like, well, what do you say to that? They, we, like, wheel Orak into the bridge <laughs> on his little trolley cart. Well, they tell, they respond to the lie, and I don't remember exactly what they say, but Avon immediately asks Orak if it's true, and Orak is like, no, that's not true at all. Oh, because they, they do admit that they have the transmitter. Right. And then the guy's oh, like, oh, better not tamper with it because it'll cause major damage to electronics. And then Avon's like, is that true, Orak? And he's like, no, not true, false, do not believe. <laughs> So here's where we see Orak, again, I guess, sort of having a will of his own, siding with Avon for once. Actually felt pretty good to have them on the same team for once. It's like uh, it's like a, a, a satisfying Avengers-style team-up between or, two antagonistic characters. Or, I mean, it's like when Terry... Na- we mentioned this last week, how when Terry Nation writes, Avon and Blake are <laughs> kind of best buddies. buddies. <laughs> So maybe something similar to that, you know, after a few weeks of antagonism between them, it's kind of nice to see them not as antagonistic. I mean, it's just kind and of Avon, it, it kind of plays into Avon just using people for his own purposes, right? Sure. And we talked about this last week as if it was like a big plot discrepancy. But one thing I was thinking of is that we also have to remember that these people are like living together in well, close quarters, because I guess they don't make full use of the Liberator as far as we see on screen. Right. So they're not always going to get along with each other, nor are they always going to be antagonistic towards one another. You know, sometimes they'll get along with each other more than more than others. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens Anyone when you cram... Anyone who's been part of a family knows that. <laughs> you cram a bunch of people into, like, a small enclosed space, right? So they get to this planet, and... Big brother. We see... <laughs> what's probably the bbc auditorium well i'm i really like this because it's they're going back to a place that's and i forget which planet this was but they're going back to somewhere where the federation is you know it's a central location to them it's central there's federation is established here and it looks more like earth right so that to me makes sense yeah, no, I didn't really have a problem with it. I just thought it was really interesting. And they do this really cool thing when they're in the auditorium too, where Serverland is this big face just on the screen and is like, we knew all about your plan all along, Legrand. You're going to put your weapons down and you submit. And then Serverland looks to the right and then there's just a shot of like lights coming on on these guards standing under a spotlight. And then she looks to her left and there's another shot of guards just standing under a spotlight. And I thought it was really cool and like well yeah. executed. yeah. The Attorney General, I guess, deciding that he doesn't want to live in this Federation, considering he was the Attorney General, he knows what they do to people who betray the Federation, decides to make a run for it and gets killed. Well, right, no, he all... doesn't get, actually, he doesn't get killed yet. He gets shot, but he doesn't die. Legrand dies. But he makes it out to where Blake is waiting outside to get introduced with Jenna, and Avon's sitting in like the antechamber where they beamed in. Sorry, Villa's sitting in the antechamber. Avon's on the ship with Shivan and Callie. Yeah, I don't remember this scene very well. But 
So what happens is, this is kind of complicated. So Legrand left her bodyguard on the ship with Chavan to to wait on Chavan. And he comes stumbling into the bridge with a knife in his back. And he's like, ah, remember. And then Chavan walks in and just rips his head off. It's Travis. And Avon's like, well, I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm surprised. You said you saw this coming. I didn't see it coming at all. I saw it coming. What I saw it co- I saw it coming from when Serverland showed up, honestly. Huh. Uh, I didn't. I, I was pretty Because when Serverland showed up, she like made reference to Chavan, and Legrand was like, oh, he's alive. And at that moment, I was like, okay, Serverland knows something that we don't know. And it's why probably would, Travis. Well, I don't remember. Why would, why would Legrand say that, oh, he's alive? Because she knows well, Chavan's yeah, alive. Yeah, but Legrand was trying to play it off like she didn't know oh, to okay, Serverland. Yeah, I see. But Serverland bringing up Chavan, to me, was like, oh, Serverland knows something that oh. we don't know. All right, yeah. I I guess I just didn't put two and two together. But yeah, I was pretty surprised, which I guess worked out in the end. <laughs> so he comes stumbling in, and then he commands Avon to beam him down to the planet. Travis kind of doesn't really think this through, if I'm going to be honest. He's still um, pretty unhinged. Unlimited he really Travis. Just, he could really just make off with the Liberator right now. Blake will be dead because there's guards down on the planet. Blake has no escape, but... Yep. Travis is so obsessed with killing Blake himself that he asks Avon to be asks Avon to beam him down, and he does. And in the process, they beam Villa back up, but Blake is having another like attack, so he takes off his bracelet, and Jenna takes hers off too to make sure she doesn't beam out before she can get Blake out. Right, but tra- that's when Travis shows up, and he's about to kill Blake. So it's this really tense moment where they need to get their bracelets on ASAP and get Blake back on the Liberator. So then Avon. Uh, there's this funny scene where uh, Villa's like, do something, Avon. And Avon just grabs the transponder and slams it on the table and it explodes. <laughs> and then Blake's just like, forgot about that. Blake's just like, wow, I can think again. <laughs> and they just slap their bracelets on and beam out. Right before Travis shoots. Yeah, they get a little bit of time because the Attorney General attacks Travis when he finds out that he's not Chavan. And basically that distraction gives him enough time to get the bracelet on and beam out because then Travis just shoots the attorney general and then he goes to shoot them and they've already beamed out. And then this episode ends. The episode ends with Blake showing up on the Liberator and saying, have we made it to Del 10 yet? Get on that, guys. And just walks away. Yeah, he's like, and then, well, no, actually Avon's like, can you just say thank you? And Blake's like, what happened? And he just walks off. He's like, get us to Del 10. And then Avon says the best line of the, the whole show. He says, I'm sorry to inform you that he is in, indeed himself or something like that. Actually, hang on. I'll, I'll get you the actual line. because like the wiki has it. The wiki and has the I actually the found a site that has transcribed basically all of the snarky lines from mostly from Avon, but from anyone. Uh, so nice. I'll link that in the show notes. I'm sorry to have to inform you that he is himself all right. And then it ends. <clears throat> Which is a really funny cool. line. Yeah, it was. I really liked that ending. <laughs> It, like, really perfectly encapsulates Avon and Blake's relationship, in my opinion. Like, yeah, Avon cares about Blake, but at the same time, you know, they have this head-butting yeah, I mean, rivalry w- of sorts. Look at it this way. Blake makes out that he really cares about everyone. I, everyone and, like, the Federation's crimes and stuff like that. Avon makes it out that he doesn't care about anything, really, but himself. But really, that seems to be... Either reversing or a facade or already reversed, which is interesting. It's it there definitely Especially is a when reversal you know of sorts. Both like how the show ends and what's coming up in the next two seasons. I mean, I guess that, I, that might be why when I read that one review before we started the show, I was like, oh, it's better to know how the show ends when you watch the show. But I was going to say there's like a, I was thinking about this in this episode. There's like a, a, a parallel between Travis and Blake, which I think is 100% intentional on Chris Boucher and Terry Nation's part, where as Travis has become more unhinged, Blake has actually become more unhinged as well. That they've like in tandem become more and more unhinged and more and more... Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Willing they have blinders on? That they only see their goal. Yeah, single-minded. Like... Travis just wants to kill Blake and Blake just wants to stop the Federation. And the more episodes go on, the more these two characters get driven towards the goal and and forget everything else, basically. Yeah, I think there is mention of Star One in this episode. I don't remember where it's brought up. It's right at the end when Blake's like, you know, we got to find Star One, too. Let's get on that, guys. (laughs) As soon as he snaps out of the hypnosis, right? That's what he 
he brings up. And there's also, I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was really clever. Well, I thought it was at least good attention to detail. When Travis rips off the mask, he has like a beard. And I was like, that makes sense because he's been wearing this mask for like three months and he hasn't been able to shave. He should have a beard. I didn't notice that, but yeah, sure. I mean, I just thought it was like a nice attention to detail and shows that they actually care about things on this show. Yeah. I know it's. Yeah, I, mean, I know it's. I know it sounds like we make it out like all the people on the show didn't actually care, but I think we we know that they care and we know that they're doing the best with the budget that they have. And I think it's like really good attention to detail that Travis has a beard here, which I don't know if like Brian Croucher actually grew out a beard for this. I assume because of the compressed schedule, he didn't, and that it's a fake. And if it is a fake, it looks really good. Like you or, can't tell. Or I, I don't know the airing order for this season. I don't know when like you know this was produced. Was produced might have been like you know this. I'm pretty sure this wasn't first. Yeah, they might have produced but, it. What you're saying is they might have produced it early on and had like Brian Croucher grow a yeah. beard before he started and then yep. you can shave it off. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if it was real or not, but if it's not real, it looks really good. Like you can't tell. Yeah. All right. So I think uh, this week, you know, Keon's been going first a lot. So I think I'll go first in the rankings. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Thank, Thank you for letting me go first uh, for once, Keon. I know you like to dominate this section. So my <laughs> ranking for this week is uh, Shivan's googly eye. <laughs> Let me explain, though, because that sounds like a really bad ranking uh, at first, because I, I know I kind of bashed the googly eye earlier uh, a little bit. But I bash it because I love it. You see, it's like silly in all the right ways. But at the same time, it's like it's the perfect capstone to the costume. And that's kind of this episode is that it's got a lot going on, like a lot. And you can get easily lost in the overall grand scheme of things, in the overall minutia, like the googly eye. You can get <laughs> lost in the minutia of the googly eye existing. Or you can look at it as a whole and look at everything that went on in this episode. And I think this episode did it really well. There was a lot going on in this episode, and it didn't get bogged down. It didn't get like confusing or convoluted. It didn't feel like they rushed from place to place. I think all of that was really well done. So, Sure, sure. Kind of like how the googly eye... Like I said, you can get bogged down on the fact that it's a googly eye, or you can look at the googly eye in the context of the whole costume and be like, oh, it makes sense. He needs to have like an eye of some sort there, right? And the googly eye fits perfectly with the costume. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, I think you can tell these rankings are getting more and more abstract well, the longer doing, this season has gone on. Right. We're doing a new thing next season. Right. We're planning on doing a new thing for every season. And I have a couple things in mind already. Uh, but anyway, my rating for this episode was the finale of Blake 7. Uh, because it was a surprise. You know, I was surprised about Travis. <laughs> this is, I was surprised a- <laughs> about Shavan being Travis. I was surprised about Jenna actually doing things. Doing things. And to, I mean, Look, Actually, Jenna didn't really do much in this episode when, you, when it comes down to it. But she wasn't just manning the teleport. Jenna and Orak. And Orak. This is a really meta ranking you're going for here. <laughs> because it's a dependent on the fact that you know how the show ends. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like this ranking will make a lot more sense to some people if they've at the end of our podcast and they come back. I'm pretty sure nobody's listening to this who hasn't watched Blake Seven already. I mean, we don't know. No, we don't know. We got if- an email this week. Before we forget, uh, we're coming to the end of the episode here, and that that actually reminded me because we were talking about oh, we don't know. We got we got another email this week. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, is there anything else we want to say about this episode? I think I'm done. I think really I'm done it. too. I liked it quite a bit. It's not my favorite of the season, but I think it really executed on a lot of stuff really well. No, but you know, again, like all Blake's up, like pretty much all Blake seven episodes, except like uh, Orac and Redemption. It's just really solid. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree. Uh, this email arrived. Uh, this email arrived before the last episode went out, but our. Uh, uh, but due to timing stuff, we yeah, weren't able to, to do timing That's stuff, what I'm guessing you're about to say. We weren't able to record this response for that episode. Thankfully, this this email is pretty overall. It's kind of uh, more general and not about a specific episode. So I think it works out okay that we put it in this episode. So I will go ahead and read it. It's from Al Bingham, who, if you will remember, has emailed us before about two months ago. I don't remember exactly what email her, I don't remember what episode her email appeared on, as we're going to get to in a second. Uh, Hiya, Zenith crew. Still really enjoying the podcast. Always happy when I see the latest episode is ready to listen to. Thank you. That means a lot. 
just so you know, I am actually female. I thought you might pick that up by me saying that I was more of a Cali than a Servalan. I didn't. I did not. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But thank you for clarifying that. Now I feel really bad. <laughs> Some notes about Cali, because I think you've missed something important about her. When you were talking about her loneliness and shadow, you said that the series hadn't really touched on that before. It had, but in a really subtle way. When Callie and Blake woke up on the ship in Mission to Destiny, Blake heard Callie telepathically say the word alone. In a moment when she was recovering from unconsciousness and her thoughts were probably at their most vulnerable, we got an insight into her most prevalent ideas. She'd been feeling alone, as though she can communicate telepathically with others, they can't do the same with her. After living on Orion, where others could speak to you in your mind at any time, the isolation and loneliness feels overwhelming. Callie is truly alone. That's when she feels something that can communicate with her mind and shadow. She finally feels truly connected to something else once again. A little note on Gambit. Jan Chappelle and Sally Nevette both loved their scene in Gambit where they got to fight in the bar. The scene was largely ad-libbed and they originally went on for so long with it that the director had to tell them to make it shorter. I like that scene a lot because the girls really got a chance to play off each other in a scene. I don't think we've watched no, Gambit we haven't yet, watched Gambit. but that's something that now I'm actually really looking forward to since I I've, read your email. Yeah, I've read, like I mentioned before, a couple weeks ago, I read a few interviews with Sally Nevette and she mentions that scene. So I already, yeah. I guess, spoiled it. But. I didn't know anything about it, but I'm really looking forward to it now because it sounds awesome. I've started listening to your podcast about the sixth doctor and trust your doctor. I have a fascination with that regeneration because I see a lot in it to like where others just see things to hate. Keep up the good work. Down and safe. Augie. Okay, so on, uh, I guess, Callie being alone is what we can respond to since that's the main bulk of this email. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably not something we picked up on. No, I don't def- think... Definitely I, something we, we definitely didn't, didn't pick, pick up on. on that because that's really, really subtle. And I think that's something that Blake 7 actually does pretty well. It makes me want to go back and rewatch a lot of the episodes when we're done with the show to yeah. see if I picked up on things like that. I actually have rewatched a couple episodes. I did rewatch Shadow and I did mm-hmm. rewatch Pressure Point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I already mentioned before, I've watched the first six episodes twice. So Yeah. And I think Blake Seven is really, really clever in that aspect. It has a lot of those really subtle things. And I think those are things that like really make the show more enjoyable if you're rewatching or even if you pick them up the first time through and you don't really know what they're leading to or what they're referencing yet. And then when you find out, I think that can be really exciting. Right. Like we mentioned with Callie in this episode, you know, mm-hmm. there's a little more going on than what we were probably giving uh, the show credit for. Right. I mean, you know, and like you were saying, like, oh, Callie is using her telepathy a lot more. And then it's like, oh, well, in Shadow, you know, she kind of again makes reference to the fact that maybe she's getting more in touch with it now. Like a lot of little li- throwaway lines, not throwaway, uh, throwaway is not exactly the word I'm looking for. I mean that in the sense that like they're just single lines. You wouldn't notice necessarily. They're just single lines or a few lines that are just in there that don't contribute to the main plot of that episode, but like lead into character development or things that come up later in the season. Well, which is really good because it like allows the show to be episodic, which is nice, but also, you know, but also serialized. Right. Also serialized in some way. Kind of a good mix of both. uh, I think because I don't know. In some ways, episodic is better. In some ways, serialized is better. And I think if you can strike a good balance between them, then that really helps the show. I mean, Doctor Who, in my opinion, did it like series one of the reboot with the overarching Bad Wolf plotline being kind of the serialized plot of the season, but then each episode being individual um, standalone yeah, stories. Yeah, I mean, I've said it on Trust Your Doctor. I That's a really great season. Probably my favorite season of Doctor Who. It's either that or season 17. Series mm-hmm. one or season 17 is my favorite of Doctor Who. Both of which had overarching plot lines that served as like a grand serialized plot over the whole season. Series 17 was key to time, right? No, 16 was key, 16 to, time. Was key to time. 17 was Douglas Adams. 17 was Douglas Adams, which but didn't it, was really... the, it was the randomizer season. Yeah. It's kind of. There was that tying plot thread, but... Also, glad you're listening to Trust Your Doctor. I think we are similar to you in that we see a lot to like in The Sixth Doctor. I think that a lot of people outright just bash The Sixth Doctor... And I think we tried to give him, I think we tried to give him a fair shot on our show. I think a lot of the times we try to to dif- differentiate what Colin Baker was trying to do with the role and the, what the scripts were giving him. Because I think right, there's definitely right. a difference. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember much of my opinion on The Sixth Doctor, honestly. I know we Neither bashed did, him pretty hard in Spiral Scratch, but we bashed well, yeah, Spiral because, Scratch because, in general pretty uh, hard. Spiral Scratch, was, mm, Spiral Scratch was like an anomaly, but I think... If I remember correctly, we tried to a lot of the times point out things that Colin Baker was trying to take the role or where he was trying to take the role and then how the production crew was trying to take him in a different direction and how they kind of clashed and led to a lot of yeah. things that are 
easy to dislike, I guess. I've been listening to uh, the old Doctor Who show podcast recently, and they're like, they're on the sixth, they're, they don't do every story, but they're on the sixth Doctor's era right now, and that's where they're sort of coming from. I mean, they really like what Colin Baker is doing, they just don't like what he's being given. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of people like the audios, because they truly give Colin kind of free reign to take the character where he wanted to go originally. Where, where arguably should have gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's enough about Doctor Who. Thank you for your kind words about the podcast. Thanks. Makes me feel really nice that you look forward to the episode every week. It's 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 nice to have someone who looks forward to downloading our episodes every week. It doesn't just I don't know listen. Actually, actively look forward to it. Sure. I don't know. I don't <laughs> know what I'm saying anymore. It's late. If you would like to email us and have your email read out to and responded to on air, you can email us at thedoctordecadentvegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry rants, love letters, your thoughts on Orac's sudden cooperation with Avon. Is it a tie-in to Avon's massive plot to overthrow Blake? Based on this episode alone, I'd say Avon is a better leader than Blake. But anyway, you can find us on... Apple Podcasts. You can find us on YouTube at Decade of Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith of Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Or if you don't, just tell us what you don't like so we can fix it. Check us out on Facebook. Trust your doctor. Like us on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at TYD Podcast and follow us on Twitter. And next time we're watching Gambit. <laughs> but until then, the end. The end.